What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, there's something about people you meet in life. They're never too high. They're never too low. They're just steady. And steady leadership always brings great results. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to welcome you to the Lynch Leader Podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and we find out how they have led and how they currently lead with their faith out in front. Well, welcome to episode 164, where we get to sit down with one of my favorite people that I've gotten to meet in the last couple of years, Coach Rich Maloney. Coach Maloney has had a distinguished college coaching career, recording a record of 917 wins against 600 losses. He's been MAC Coach of the Year, Big Ten Conference Coach of the Year, while he was at Michigan, and he's currently at Ball State, just turning out great, great teams made up of young men who are being molded and shaped into something more than just a baseball player. Coach Maloney's been recognized with the FCA Baseball Distinguished Jerry Kendall Award. He's been an NCAA representative at the ABCA and Division I chair and president of the ABCA. But Coach Maloney is so much more than just a baseball guy. He's a man who loves Jesus with all his heart and has a dream of who he's shaping his young men to be. Today is going to be a good one. If you're a coach, it's going to be right up your alley. If you are a business leader, you are going to learn so many great principles from the heart that Coach Maloney leads with. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to do me a favor and I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation on steady leadership with Coach Rich Maloney. Well, Coach Maloney, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. I'm honored to be here, Mike. Uh, it's been great to get to know you as well in our coach's Bible study, uh, which is fantastic. I, I actually talked to a lot of people about it because uh, I've learned a lot during the process and get to share life with, uh, with the coaches around the country. It's so fun, you know, every Monday to, to look on that screen. And most of the guys, you and I have actually gotten to break bread a little bit up at Lake Point, but most of the guys I've never met. But watching how many of them, you know, I think in the scouting world, there's a couple of our guys that all the scouts look to. Then in the college coaching world, there are a couple guys when they speak up on there, guys look to, especially younger coaches, and you're one of the people they look to. Did you ever dream that God would get you in that place in, in, in some ways of almost being a, a father figure as a coach and a father figure as a spiritual coach for guys. Did you ever dream that that would be you one day? Well, interestingly enough, as curious as it may sound, I, um, I always been a big dreamer period in life. I wanted to be a major leaguer, but I always thought big. And that's just how God kind of wired me, I guess. And I've been, th I was thankful to have parents who allowed me to dream and encouraged me to dream. Uh, and my parents are very humble, but we still, my, my mom's passed, but my dad still lives in their home of 1100 square feet. I had two other brothers and very, uh, you know, a uh, regular middle-class family. Dad was hard worker. Mom stayed at home. But we had a lot of love. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of love. And um, they, but they encouraged us as, as me and my brothers to dream. Mm -hmm. And so as God took hold of my life, as my life, as I began to mature uh, and God caught a, caught a, got a hold of me. Um, I felt like in my spirit that I was going to have some sort of a platform. Mm -hmm. I really felt a call like that. 
Um, I didn't know what that would look like. Originally, I thought maybe I'd have the platform by being a big leaguer. I wasn't interested in being a coach, quite frankly. Uh, that wasn't, uh, that came in my pro days, uh, that, that, that change occurred the same time God was getting a hold of me. Mm. So it was kind of a, a, a kind of a curious thing. I felt like I may have an opportunity. I just felt in my heart that, you know, God, I just believe God's so big and so amazing. And, um, I didn't know what it would look like, but I did feel like uh, I, w- I was hoping that I'd have the opportunity to impact others because so many people impacted my life. That's the reason why I became a coach, mm-hmm. 100%, unequivocally. Um, so I thank God for that and the people he put in my life. And so they they all inspired me to encourage me in the faith. So where did the spiritual piece really connect in for you? What At what place were you at when when the story of who Jesus was became your story and part of your heart? That's a great question. So I was raised uh, in a, in a, in a Catholic home and um, we didn't go to church all the time until I was in from about ninth grade till um, when I started my paper out, actually uh, my dad on Sundays would take me to six thirty mass mm. So he would help me on Sundays, all the rest of the week I was on my own, but on Sundays, then me and dad would go to mass. So we didn't really do it as a family, but we always, we, we believed in, in Christ, but I honestly didn't know him personally Mm. at that, at that point. So I wasn't in the scriptures or anything, but I did have a, uh, without question, I was raised in an environment where, uh, we knew of Jesus Christ. Uh, And then in college, in my, uh, my first two years in college um, with peer pressure and such, I was more like the rest of the students at Western Michigan. I was uh, just being a regular college student involved in all the things that college kids do. And um, I was really feeling empty inside. Mm. And then in my sophomore year, uh, I stayed in the dorms for two years. And in my sophomore year, we, we shared a bathroom with two other baseball players, me and another baseball player. And that's how the suites were at um, Western Michigan University. And lo and behold, God purposely placed this gentleman named Kevin McNeese, who became one of my closest, and to this day is still one of my dearest friends, um, placed Kevin in my life. And Kevin was a born-again believer, just strong faith. And Kevin started to invite me to church with him. And so I started to go to this really little church in Bloomingdale, Michigan. Um, and Kevin's family would obviously have me over for dinner. And then he introduced me to some other people, another family, the Spencers that really had great influence in my life became a big God just took that family. They took me under the wing and mentored me. Uh, Marty Spencer was a, a, just a faithful woman who invited me into their home. And so in the off season of professional baseball, I would, end up um, going to their house. But getting back to the point was my junior year in college, I finally uh, came to the realization that I was so empty inside and I watched Kevin's life and he had something I didn't have. He had a joy about him, a peace about him that was different than what I was experiencing. And one day uh, I had gone home to Detroit and my grandfather had came in to became born again. And he said to me, son, he said, when you get feel lonely or in trouble or you're feeling short in life, he said, um, open the Bible Mm. and start reading. So in between classes, my junior year, I decided to open my Bible and I was sitting at a table and God divinely, a divine appointment happened that only God could do. He put a gentleman saw me reading my Bible and asked if he could sit down and talk to me. And his name was Greg Dickow. And uh, I only had a few minutes before my next class. And Greg said, um, I told Greg, I said, I have to go to class. And he says, well, can I uh, give you a call? And I would like to meet with you, have breakfast with you or lunch. And I said, sure. Because he goes, I want to share the scripture with you. So for the next year and a half, I wrestled 
with God is Greg took me through the scripture. He took me through Romans road. Wow. He kept telling me, you know, you got to count up the costs. So if you keep living the life that you're living, you know, count up the cost. If you're separated from Christ and he, and he, he just breathed into me. And then the word started to become alive. And finally, on February 17th, 1985, in my junior year, Greg and I met at a big boys down on Stadium Drive at Western Michigan University. And I broke down and cried like a baby. And I came to know Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. when I did, it changed my whole life. Well, I mean, that day was a new birth for me. And it truly was a transformation. It was one of those where I went from one way of life to another way of life instantaneously. Mm. everybody's walk is different but for me that's what happened and then when christ came into my life it was like uh it was transformational it really was and so i start i had people then in my life like greg and then kevin who started really encouraged me in the scripture and then when kevin introduced me to the spencer family that i briefly mentioned about they started to, um, Marty started to always just give me scriptures to start to memorize. And so I started to learn to hide the word on my heart mm -hmm. and um, had some, it was just an interesting journey without question, but it was a big transformation and it, it happened my junior year in college. And you, and you went on and you had a phenomenal career at Western Michigan, mm -hmm. hit 362, you you now are in their Hall of Fame there, mm -hmm. but you get drafted. You get drafted by the Atlanta Braves, correct? Mm -hmm. And 13th round, you go. How was that faith going into the minor leagues? Was it harder than you thought it would be? Was mm -hmm. it easier to live out than you thought it would be? What was like? What was it like to take this brand new faith mm -hmm. out into this world of professional baseball? Uh, it was it was challenging because. Um, here I was on fire. Mm. And for the most part, those around me weren't. Mm. And so it became very lonely. But what was interesting in that whole journey, it was a, as I as I reflect on it, was every place that I was able to go in my six years in the minors, God put people strategically to breathe into me. And part of it is Marty taught me intentionality in the faith. And so I was, I learned that I needed to find those people. Mm. So not only God put them in the path, but also with Mar Marty's tugging and her encouragement, I, I had to be um, on the alert looking out, trying to find those people and trying to have my eyes open to when they, when God was placing them in my path so that they could breathe into me and uphold me when I was lonely. And I was, you know, the, the rigors of minor league life's a struggle. Yeah. And yeah. especially for those in the faith, when there's many people who right at that point, many young people who uh, are still finding themselves, you know, and then uh, the other thing was the chapels that were at, each of the, I always became close with the, you know, uh, with the chapel leaders. And then I was always the leader of the chapel from the player standpoint, um, which again was a blessing. Yeah. It was a blessing because those guys helped to breathe into me on each of my journeys. You know, it's a great thing too, when you step out and you step in that role, there's an accountability that comes with it of how you live out your life because of the 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 header that you have uh, i read this little uh, clip a uh, little snip of an article in the sumter daily uh item where your manager buddy bailey mm -hmm. said when the money's on the line you like to see the ball hit to him and he's the one you like to see at the plate when it's crunch crunch time he's not flashy he's just steady was that pretty much how your playing career was that there was not going to be a lot of flash, but you were going to be steady and do your job. Is that how you would qualify most of your career? Yeah, I think I was a, I was a, what I call a grinder and that's how I coach my team. Mm. I try to coach my team with a lot of grit. And, um, and the reason for that, honestly, is that's how I grew up. 
I mean, think about it. I was doing paper routes at from eighth grade all the way through my senior year, played three sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and then did a 5 a.m. paper route seven days a week. And then I had to collect. It's not like today where the money sent in. I had yep. to go door to door. So I guess my parents, you know, taught me work ethic. And um, I've carried that into the, my baseball career. Uh, I, I honestly was... And I say this with humility, and it's a tribute to my mom and dad. Um, I really was one of those guys that wasn't at work. I didn't have the Derek Jeter arm from shortstop, and I didn't have um, the power of like an Alex Rodriguez or something. But what I did bring to the table is I brought a strong work ethic, a great drive. Um, I always was a great teammate. It, that was important to me. Um, and I was highly competitive. Hmm. Um, so without those attributes, um, allowed me to, um, you know, play for a while, play for a while and play with some great, great people, great players, still have some, uh, excellent friendships. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Merker and I were yeah. just talking, uh, this, uh, you know, a week or two ago again, and Steve Avery and some of the guys, um, that I had the privilege of being a part of uh, Turk Wendell was a good friend. Mm. Um, just guys, uh, you know, and that's the beauty of the game, yep. the game, you know, but the faith piece of it for me was the glue that held me together in those tough times. Cause the grind of minor league baseball is really, really hard. I don't think people truly understand mm. what, how hard it is because you don't control any of your schedule. And you're owned by a prop by a team and you have the dream, the same dream that all the other boys have, but they're all, it's not like a team in college where it's kind of cutthroat. So it's yeah. harder. People are more, um, it's harder to get close with people because people are moving up and down in the, and, and you might be taking someone's job. And so there's a lot of factors that are unique to that occupation. But at the same token, I wouldn't trade it for anything that I experienced because I really think it molded me, you know, helped mold me into the person I am, the people I've met and all, all that. So I'm thankful for it. You know, it's so interesting when you're when you're coming through and the Braves were not a great organization during those years. They were there were some, you know, as a as a Braves guy, uh, those were tough years. Those were tough years. And all along the way, you get to pray, play for Grady Little and Brian Snicker. Mm -hmm. Could you see? Then as a player, some of the things people will take Snicker, some of the things that people say about Snicker now, what kind of guy he is, what kind of players manager he is. Did you see that even back then when you played for him? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's it's really interesting. And I'm thankful for having both of those guys and, and Buddy Bailey, like you mentioned earlier. Um, Brian Snicker, when I got called up to Durham, so I think Blouser must have got called up to double A. And then Mark Lemke and I were the sec shortstop second baseman in um in the Durham Bulls. So I had a good season in Sumter. They promoted me, I think it was August 10th. I was only up there, you know, the season only lasted 20 or 20 games or so. Uh, so I was only with Brian for a short period of time. But here's what I can tell you about Brian. Brian, you talk about a guy who worked hard. Mm. This guy, it, it's the dog days of the summer, man. And it is hot in Durham. And I'm a skinny guy. And the weightlifting wasn't part of the forte no. back in the day. <laughs> so here I was about being a noodle. I wasn't the same player as I was when I went spring training, for sure. Nevertheless, Brian would hit me ground balls and ground balls and ground balls. And then more ground balls and more ground balls. And it was like, come on, Brian. What's the world, man? You realize I'm a noodle right now. But what he saw is what he wanted to get out of all of us. Mm. He was making sure he was doing his due diligence to prepare us for whatever level our talent was going to take us. And I, I never forget that. And in matter of fact, I ran into him at one of the ABCA coaches conventions one time, several years after, and he was still in the minor leagues, not probably not ever expecting to be a manager in the big yep. leagues, truthfully, because I think he was reserved to the fact that he probably wasn't going to be. Yep. I really do think that. And yep. only he could tell you that. And then as fade and life yep. 
you know, he caught his break and he's done a phenomenal. It's been a joy watching him from a distance. I couldn't be more happy. And many of us who played for him couldn't be more happy because we knew how he grinded. Yep. And so we're happy. Grady Little, on the other hand, Grady and I got to be, we spent a lot more time together. And Grady is a really special influence in my life because Grady was a, a truly a player's coach. And um, he had a funny sense of humor, very unique personality. And he taught me the other side, like he was very highly competitive, but at the same token, he kept it all in perspective to keep us loose. Mm. And I think that helped me too. And Buddy Bailey, on the other hand, Buddy Bailey was really more driven, like really detailed oriented, not as personable naturally, but yet I learned a ton from Buddy. I thought Buddy was an outstanding manager too. So all three of them, although each of them different, they all had impact on my life. No doubt about it, 100%. So your playing career, you don't make it to the bigs. Mm -hmm. You watch Lemke go on. You watch Blouser go on. You watch Avery and Merker and that crew. That was a crop of kids. Flesco. That, that's right. They came up during that time. You watch them move on, and your, your dream of being a Major League Baseball player comes to an end. What was that like, and what did you learn from that adversity of going, okay, this didn't go the direction I thought it was going to go. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, again, and these are growth periods in your faith. Um, so the first two years I was in the minor leagues, I did really well. I made the all-star teams did well, and they were pushing me. Then they'd sent me to instructional leagues. They bring me to early spring training, not with the big league team, but they'd have me early with some guys. So they were really looking at me. Then I had two years of uh, where I didn't do so well just kind of things happened where I just didn't perform well enough. And then the younger guy started passing you by, mm -hmm. but then I started to find it again. And I found it. I just found that the timing wasn't right. And so I had to deal with all those different emotions and the mental strain of a player who still had a dream, but mm -hmm. also had a degree. Mm -hmm. And also realized that there's, you know, I didn't have to be a baseball player. So I had to transform myself from the thought of my identity had been tied a lot to a baseball player but also as a Christian, of course. But now when you started to see that writing on the wall, when the younger guys were passing you up, you had to shift gears. Okay, Lord, what do you have in store for me? You know, where, what is going to be my next phase of life? And I think God was preparing me actually with when Grady. So I was in double a with Greenville and I wasn't going to play much And Mike Mordecai got hurt in Durham. And then Grady called me up and said, hey, would you be my shorts up? I'll play you every day. We're in the race. You guys aren't winning it over there in Greenville. And you'll get to play every day. And I said, Grady, if I'm going down, I just met Kelly and I had just gotten engaged. I said, if I'm going downwards, I said, I got my degree. Then that, the writing's on the wall. I need to move on. And he says, nah, come on, play the next six weeks. And I went down there, actually hit 300. But wow. Grady would drive me. I would travel with Grady in his uh, car. It's like when we'd go play Winston-Salem or something yeah. or something close, he wouldn't let me drive on the bus with the team. Me and him would drive separate. Now, who does that in the right. minor leagues? Think about that. He saw something in me. Maybe it was like how he was. I don't know. But I think he's, he's the first one to me who really encouraged me like I might be a coach someday. Mm. And by to put me to the side, I never forget it. I'm thankful for it. As a matter of fact, we're going to play open up at Charlotte this year. And Grady's going to come speak to the team. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a treat for me. It's going to be a treat for the guys, but for me, selfishly, it's going to be quite a treat, but nevertheless, I think he had impact because he saw that. So then um, when I, when I was in, went back to double A the next year, Kelly and I decided we were married and we decided to give it one more year, see where it go. Cause I really felt like I was playing at a high level, mm. but now the timing wasn't right. Chris Shambliss was my manager, another great guy, superhuman mm. being, superhuman being. And I was actually playing well when I played, but I only played every fifth day or so. And then um, they advanced the shortstop second baseman, uh, Vinny Castilla, I think. I'm trying to remember. Maybe I'll say uh, I'm not I'm losing track. But nevertheless, these guys got promoted. So I thought, here's my moment. Yeah. I'm going to finally get a chance. And um, then Chris pulled me in and he says, Rich, I would love to play you right now, but the brass is saying I need to play these younger guys. 
So I saw the writing on the wall and then yeah. I said, Chris, I really appreciate the honesty. And uh, then, you know, I have to, I have to call it a day because mm. I got to start finding something else to do. Well, interestingly enough, Rod Gilbreth, Paul Snyder, mm. Bobby Dews, they sent a, 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 uh, the guys down to Greenville to talk me out of uh, retiring. And I still decided because they wanted me to be a player coach and they talked to me about going triple A. But anyway, I decided that Kelly and I thought, you know, I really wanted to raise a family. And I felt like that living in the minor league would be a long journey and that that would be tough to raise a family for me. Yeah. Yep. And so I went in a different direction. And fortunately, a door opened at Western Michigan to be with my mentor, my second dad, uh, Fred Decker, who allowed me to be his assistant, did that for four years. And then the Ball State opportunity happened. What what did you learn? And you you played for Coach Decker. When you come in as an assistant, what did you learn about coaching from him that was so critical to who you are as a coach today? I learned a couple things. I mean, a lot of things, truthfully, a whole lot. I'm still learning from Coach. Uh, me and him are very, very close. It's like a father-son relationship mm -hmm. special. But what I learned is how he did his business. He's a man of integrity. He did the, he's always did things the right way. So I remember when there was a, we were out of the race and there, uh, it was important for the team that we were playing that they play that game because it affected their opportunity to have a chance to win the league. It rained, Mike, it was one of those days where you could justify 100% that we're not playing. Mm. But in the integrity of the league and in the integrity of this team needed to play that game, Coach Decker and I, but because of Coach Decker, we took care of the field. We we did. We went way over beyond the call of duty, which is what we always did. But that's what he taught me. Mm. He says, "Hey, we always play all the games, no matter what, for the integrity of the league, because we'd want that to happen if it happened to us. You know, if we were in that same situation, which is the right thing to do. So it doesn't matter whether it's the first game or the last game. We're we're going to do everything we can in our power, within reason, to play baseball." Mm. And um, so that was a, to me, I, I've used that many times over in different situations. Um, he also taught me um, really forgiveness. And I'll tell you why um, I've seen kids make mistakes in our program at Western where he could have given up on them, me being one of them. And he, he chose he, he, he never used it as an out. He used it as an opportunity for growth. And to me, that's what coaching's about. So he could have wiped his hands. He could have went like this and call it a day in many of our cases for some of us players. And he chose to teach. Mm, mm. And I'll never forget that. And then the, the thing that I'm going to share with the, uh, at the convention uh, this year is um, when I became a head coach, he told me, this is the one sentence he said, do you want to win at all costs? He says, that's the question you have to ask yourself. It never left me, Mike. It still never left me now. And when I'm mentoring young coaches right now, I'm, I always tell them the same thing. You have to ask yourself, you got to look in the mirror. Do I want to win at all costs? Cause if you want to win at all costs, you're going to pummel over people. You're going to, you know, not treat people well, and you might move up the food chain, but someday you're going to have to look in that mirror and you'll have to see if it's like, if you like what you see mm. for me, I chose with the influence of coach Decker and certainly the way I was raised that I didn't want to win at all costs. And we've been blessed because we've won, we've won our fair share. I mean, we won a lot. Yep. We've, we've won a lot. I've, I've been a blessed man. I've coached so many great players, have so many great relationships. I'm so thankful. But at the same token, it's been a tough journey. It's been a struggle. It's hard to win. And but more important than winning was to try, try to do it the right way. Mm. And then it falls right in, in with our faith that's because right. that's the expectation of Christ. So um, as I was learning from Coach Decker, without the total experience I have now of my relationship with Christ, they all end up were pulling. God was already, already orchestrating all of that together and forming my thought process. 
I really believe that. Then he used coach um, to to really be an ally of mine, a friend for life, uh, a brother um, who I could always count on. Mm. You know what I love about that? And we use this phrase on our call on Mondays a lot. God never wastes our time. He never wastes our experiences. He doesn't waste any of this. Your playing time, your minor league time, your managers, you riding, riding in Grady Little's car to and from a game, which is crazy. Going back to Western, Ball State opens. You become the head coach at Ball State um, in 96 to 02. And then a job of all jobs opens Mm -hmm. in that area, which is the Michigan job. As you took that Michigan job, what was it that was going through your mind when you are introduced as the new head baseball coach Mm -hmm. of the Michigan Wolverines? What was going through your mind at that point of where life had you? Yeah, it was an amazing journey for sure. Um, I think I got to step back first before we go totally into that is the fact that when I got to Ball State, Kelly and I and our baby Alex was six months old. We were nomads in a land that we didn't know. We literally knew nobody. And I knew immediately I needed to get my family involved in a church. Mm, mm. That was number one for me and Kelly to find friends in the faith it was critical. And so I was very intentional. And so I went to a promise keepers event at the Hoosier dome with my group from Michigan, actually, um, from the church we had been in before I took the job. And we, uh, we had put our Bibles at lunch up in the seats. Cause it wasn't, uh, you didn't have a ticket that had a seat number. It's kind of like everybody just sat in any way. Um, I saw a guy with a Ball State shirt in an area and I walked up into that area because I wanted to talk to this guy and say, hey, I'm the new Ball State coach. Mm-hmm. And um, my friends thought our Bibles were where we were sitting was a little past that. As irony would have it again, divine appointment. It was right where my Bible was like, right, wow. right there. God put this person. And then I asked this person, I said, well, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be at Ball State. I'm new is there a church in the community that I should, that you would recommend? Now, remember, I didn't know this guy. They just had a ball state shirt on. And I just was at a promise keeper event. I just said, I felt nudged to be able to ask him. And he said, well, our family, my wife's family had been at this one church for nearly a hundred years. And we would recommend that, you know, you'd be, we'd love to have you join us, you and your family. However, there's this happening church that a lot of our friends go to called Union Chapel. Wow. And so I called up Union Chapel and I asked to speak to the pastor, Greg Paris. And I took Kelly and our baby Alex to take him to lunch. And I took him to Red Lobster. I still remember this like it's yesterday. <laughs> and, and no pastor said, ever turns out a meal. <laughs> Never <laughs> turned out a meal. And so anyway, we go on this this uh and i asked him what he believed in what his vision was you know uh, and um he it was just i felt a connection immediately from my family it was my responsibility to make sure i got us place because i i realized how big of a decision this was since we had no friends then i asked him is there someone in the is there a someone on your staff to who can mentor me in that same conversation that same day. And he said, uh, actually, that isn't my biggest strength. He goes, but I have my assistant pastor, Joe Williamson. Mm. He mentors a lot of men. And he said, I'll put you in touch with Joe. So I took Joe golfing. Me and Joe are golfing. I'm not a good golfer, but we went golfing. And uh, me and Joe hit it off. And for the next seven years, almost to a weekly, almost every week, Joe breathed into me. Mm. He shared scripture with me. We went through books. He just shared everything about the faith. He was a role model. He was, to me, a a Goliath in a good way Mm. to my life. He was larger than life for me. Like he was 
to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another divine. But again, I go back to intentionality. That's right. To uh, I had learned through various people in my life that I needed to be intentional. And whenever I've been intentional, God's always put people in my path that have helped me to grow and challenge me, encourage me and love me and that type of deal. So now we get to the point where we build a ball state job into a power. Um, we had a small group at ball state that was phenomenal that helped Kelly and I and grow immensely. Probably the biggest growth in our life occurred during that time. And then uh, the Michigan job, which was my dream job when I was growing up on the East side of Detroit, you're either a Spartan fan or you're a Michigan fan. Mm, mm. And I was a diehard Michigan fan. And I loved getting up when Michigan played Ohio state and Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes. And it was, I would wake up in the morning and I'd listen to the radio because all it was about was the, the rivalry. And lo and behold, as it turned out, Bo Schembechler ended up speaking to my team a couple of different times. Wow. So it was, a, it was a treat for me to live out a dream. Yep. And then we rebuilt a program. We built a stadium. God blessed us in so many ways uh, with so many great relationships with so many wonderful people. Um, And I'm just so thankful for that moment in our life. And then the storms of life hit. That's right. And storms of life hit. Um, We fell into um, two years, the only two years where we really hadn't won um we had a new athletic director and it just like the perfect storm in every way shape or form we had an ill child we had a lot of things going on in our life um that were um really we felt like we're under attack Mm -hmm. quite frankly um and so our time at michigan ended after 10 years uh and we, we we won a lot yeah, we really did. We were we were more than blessed. Um, and then during that time, uh, God allowed me to be in certain to have a pretty big platform um, within the coaching industry. Um, I had the privilege of being the president of the American Baseball Coaches Association. I was working my way through that. I was yeah. served on several committees with. Um, the division one baseball committee. Um, I wasn't a part of it, but I was part of two other coaches, me, Tim Corbin, Steve Smith, and then me, Danny McDonald and Steve Smith. And then me and other guys, but it was, I was like for about 11 years, I got to represent college baseball at the highest level, Mm -hmm. even, and they kept me on there. Even when I took back the ball state job the second time, which again, to me was divine because, um, I'm just a regular guy who worked really hard, who um, tries to do things the right way um, and tries to mentor as many people as I possibly can. And I, the platform at Michigan allowed me, there was coaches that would reach out because of your status. Um, they would ask me to come alongside. And so because of that, I got to really mentor uh, some different people. And I've had great assistance in my life. I've got Jake Boss at Michigan State. I had Jason Murray was at Charleston Southern. I had John Lowry went back to coach high school and he became a state champion uh, high school coach in West Virginia. I've got um, Ray Scolds at uh, Post uh, College right now. I've got, uh, man, uh, my recent assistant, Blake Beamers at Butler. Um, I have... uh, Chris Getz is the head of player development, the White Sox. Uh, Chris Fetter is, was my pitching coach. And I played for me at Michigan as the Detroit Tigers pitching coach. Um, so I've been really, really blessed. These guys, man, I just thankful. Mm. And, and it's God's doing. And I tried my best. Um, I had Bob Keller, Matt Houston's at Wheaton College now. Bob Keller's coaching a junior college in, uh, uh, I think, Mississippi now. I mean, they're all over the place. And uh, for me, it's great fun, Mike. I got to tell you, for me, this is like, for me, that's all it's about. And right now, I got my son actually back as my assistant. Oh, that's awesome. So when Blake took the job, I was fortunate enough to bring my, our oldest son, Alex, back to be my coach. And he had paid his dues. 
uh, for the last four years, he's been starting off just like I had to start off at the bottom and work his way. And he's earned this opportunity and he's, it's well-deserved and it's, it's been neat to watch him grow. It's, it's such a neat thing, coach. You know, you, you watch your career and you've had success everywhere you've been. I mean, you really have. And before our podcast, before our conversation today, our listeners will hear about all the accolades that you've gotten. There's two things. One, the testimony that a school that you were at, that you left, had you back. That's, that's a, that's a testimony. I've got a very good friend right now in professional baseball. He is going on his third manager he's worked for, and they all keep him. Well, there's Mm -hmm. a reason. There's a reason because of the influence of who you are. The second part of that is in 2017, you won the FCA Jerry Kendall Award uh, for the character. And Jerry Kendall, I I got to sit in a chapel that he did for our baseball team when I played at Liberty and we played the University of Arizona. And I remember sitting out in a little hotel lobby with Jerry Kendall sharing his faith and his story. That's a prestigious award. And I know this year you you won another award for ethics and coaching that you'll be presented at the ABCA convention. Why does it matter so much that, yes, you've won 917 games in 28 years of coaching? That's a great thing. But yet there's a whole nother piece that people remember the who that you were. Why is it such a big deal that that who is being noticed by other people? Well, I think, first of all, it's very humbling when you receive awards. But what awards sometimes give us is a platform. Mm, mm. And uh, just another opportunity to share uh, who we are in the faith, really. That's good. Jerry Kendall Award for me was... I don't even know how to describe it because I have so much respect for coach Kendall and we got to know each other pretty, pretty well because he would cover some big 10 games and he would, I'd get a lot to spend time at Michigan in my office with him. And then when we went to play, uh, I met him a few different times where he was covering in an area and then I'd have him speak to my team for champ. Mm. And for me, I was like a kid at the candy store because the way Jerry lived his life was so disciplined and uh, a great respecter of all. Uh, And for me, just kind of a larger than life figure. Mm. And to be able to have received that award was especially because of how highly I think of him and what he stood for in, in presenting the gospel wherever he was at. Mm. And so um, for me to be aligned with that was a blessing from above for sure. This ethic one is pretty interesting to me because when when I get to receive the award, I'm going to have a chance to share it to the body. Mm. It won't be a long, but it will be. I've been thinking about this very uh, for a year now, or ever since they said I was getting the award, what I might say. And it won't be long, but it'll be uh, poignant because I think the young coaches in our game now are going to be the stewards of the future of the game. And with all the transformation that's happening in the NCA and with the salaries that have risen and all this other stuff that go on with the game, when I got in the game, Mike, we, no one got into the game for money when you were a coach. Yep. You got into the game because you wanted to mentor kids. You love the competition. You love the great game of baseball, but you got into the game because probably like me is when you were a player, you had coaches that you respected in, and you wanted uh, and you saw how they lived their lives and you, you know, thought that would be pretty cool to have influence like that. Well, now there's other tugs for these young coaches. And so it's going to come down to, do you want to win at all costs? I think go back to what coach Decker taught me. And I think the young coaches have to realize 
you know, why do I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And now from us, from a faith perspective, in our, uh, in your career, you go through different stages, but the faith, the same, the, the one thing that stuck with me through the good and the bad in the entire career. And I hold this probably the most significant thing for me personally, as a believer is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the only constant in this world that we live in. <laughs> That's what I learned. And, I, and for me, when the storms of life hit, or even when I'm on the, been fortunate enough to be on the mountaintop for a short period of time, it's still the same. So because of him. Mm. And I just... I hold on to that and I, so when I, I look back and I reflect, I I think of all the relationships of all the players I've had the privilege of coaching. I think back of uh, both the successes and the heartaches, because there's been a lot of heartache, man. There's been a, when you're coaching a long time, you work so hard and the players work so hard and we all work so hard together. And most of the time you fall a little short. I mean, let's be honest about it. I mean, you, you know, so reality is how do you deal with all that? Well, for me, it's been only one thing, the constant of Christ in my life. So when I wake up, it's the same. And when I go to bed, it's the same. And then I wake up again. And I, it's, it's knowing that he's there for me in the good and the bad. Mm. And he, knowing that I'm trying to, that we're all called to live for him. So we're called to live for a higher purpose than ourselves and to try to influence as many people as we possibly can in a positive way to share the love of Christ. And that's really what I've tried to do. So I had this motto, Mike, which is kind of cool. And a lot of people wouldn't have understand it when I did it. So the you got to believe has been a staple from day one in my coaching career. And I'm a big motto guy, but that has been the central theme mm whether I was at Ball State when I went to rebuild the Michigan program, when I come back to Ball State to rebuild that, it all comes from the presence, uh, the premise of you got to believe. And for me, you got to believe for someone else, it might be something different. But for me, you got to believe it all starts with my faith in Christ. Okay, so I don't sit there and advertise it. I don't put it all out there. But that was the central foundational principle of the motto you got to believe and then you got to believe in your teammates you got to believe in your coaches you got to believe in the plan that we have but it all stems from faith that my faith in christ and Mm -hmm. so that's why i chose that motto and i've had it and it'll hang on the wall it hangs in our dugout but not all everybody knows the whole secret many do but the depth of it that's so good so, you know, it's so interesting. Every college coach at the end of the year has their player evals. The guys come in at the end of the year. <clears throat> they sit down with you. You know, as a, as a believer, we're going to have a, we're going to have an end of the year, end of life eval where we meet with our savior on how we use the gifts and abilities that he gave us. Not whether we're getting in or out of heaven. We've determined that by our faith in Christ, but what we did with the gifts and abilities how we led our family, how we worked in the world that we were in. When that day comes for Rich Maloney and this life is over and we've opened our eyes there, what do you want your Lord and Savior, who you're meeting for that very first time face-to-face, what do you want him to say to you about how you lived out your journey? I, I would just like him to say, You've been a good, faithful servant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were willing to learn and grow. And you recognized me every step of the way. And because for me, you know, we all fall short. Lord knows. Um, But that's the beauty of Christ. That's why he came down from heaven to be with us and to live a sinless life. And so that we could have life after, after this life. And I would just 
I hope that, uh, and I believe this, I just believe in my heart because what he really measures is our heart Mm, mm. and he knows all our shortcomings. My goodness. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Uh, at the same time, he desires what I think is so cool is he desires a relationship with us. And so when I get there, that relationship's already been established. It's already this this relationship is alive and well. So I just think it'll be a passing uh, of um, from one kind of life to another. I, I really believe that because the relation, like I just it encompasses my being. Mm. And that's just where he's taken me, but not because of anything that I've done. I'm so, I'm so thankful that I got broken. Mm. I really am. And I'm actually as crazy as it may sound, Kelly and I would have thought that, you know, we'd probably end our career at Michigan. And it was very, very painful having that taken away from us. On the flip side of it is I am so thankful because look at this. I wouldn't have had the privilege of coming back to Ball State. And I still had the relationship with my former players, but to build upon those relationships, Mm. I wouldn't have had that privilege. I wouldn't have had the privilege of having my three, our three kids uh, get to go to Ball State. And Alex meeting his wife now, Bailey, uh, who we love. And my daughter just got engaged uh, to one of my players. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another step. And then my middle, our middle son, Nick being my manager for three years. I mean, we, these things wouldn't have probably happened. And then all the players that God has blessed me with here in my second stint at Ball State uh, and all those relationships. So despite the storm and as painful as that was in every time, every once in a while, you feel a little thing here or there. Uh, and then that immediately goes away because then the eyes get centered back on the blessing. Mm. And then even the time, Mike, that we didn't talk about is the fact that, you know, I got an illness in um, 17 right. and um, I was really, really sick and the doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And then they took this mass off of my uh, against my lung and um, they still couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, and then about eight weeks later after the surgery and as I'm recovering, because uh, I was really messed up, um, they, they diagnosed the medical report says it was lymphomatoid granulatomosis, which is not a good thing. Mm. But I prayed to God. I cried out to God. I remember the day before the surgery. When everybody had left, matter of fact, Pastor Greg and my my brothers came alongside of me. And we really didn't know what the if it was going to be lung cancer. We didn't know what it was, but we knew it wasn't good. And then um, I cried out to the Lord in the, in the room all by myself. And I, and I prayed. I said, Lord, if it be your will, I'd really like to see my kids get married and my grandbabies. That's a desire of my heart. But at the same token, Mike, what was pretty curious was, and as you know this, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, when my time is done, I truly know I have total faith Mm. in, in where I'm headed. Not because of me again, because of him. And so with that, in that moment, um, you go through a ton of emotions And, um, when they wake up and they tell me, I don't think it's cancer, but there's 5% chance that it could be something real rare. We won't know until the medical report comes back. So I get the medical report and it says this lymphomatoid granulatomosis, but coach, we got it all. Mm, We mm. got it all. So I didn't have to do treatments or anything, but then I started, then the battle became one of the mind. Okay. Is this coming back? Mm. So for the next several months, because then you have to go every four months or whatever, you got to go get scans and stuff. And that's what I did for the next, you know, year and a half, two years, had all these scans. Finally, what was interesting is one of my, my AD gave us, gave me this book called Two Chairs. 
And this book really just took, <laughs> oh, what a blessing. That's all I can say. Never spoke to me about faith. He just says, I think you need to read this book. And his name was Mark Sandy, and I'm so thankful Mark did this for me. It was a blessing. So two chairs, in essence, is one chair is for you, one chair is for God. Mm. Does God know your situation? Is he capable of handling your situation? And does he have a good plan for your life? All those things I already knew, Mike. You already know them. Yep. But when you're in the storm of storms. That's right. You're, 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 you're going through a lot of different thought process. Anyway, that book became such a blessing to uh, me that God had used, I've had bought over a hundred of those books. I've spoken to the author over the phone and um, it's been a blessing to so many people had I not experienced this. And so the real, the amazing part of the story though is when I was due for my next scan, which was in December. So I had the surgery in June, I got healed kind of end of August when they told me it was lymphomatoid granulatomosis but they got it all. Kelly and I had planned a trip with our best, my very best boyhood Christian friend, my brother, uh, Nick, and his wife, Sue, to Cabo. And it either was going to be a joyous time or it was going to be a time knowing that I would come back and have to do treatments. In my mind, the way my body was, I had worked so hard to get myself into shape after the illness. I was in probably the best shape of my life in preparation should this come back. And part of me thought it was going to come back. And I don't know why that was, but I'm just telling you that was my mental thought process. My body had aches in it and I just didn't know where they were coming from. And I don't know all that, but nevertheless, the day before we're leaving, I get the clear mm. that it's clear. And then I would have to test again three or four months later, but at least I'm clear now. So now it's joyous trip. Yep. Now you got to remember, I've been practicing two chairs. I got up at four in the morning and I've been having my meetings with God and I cried and I cried and I praised and I praised and I cried some more. And it was a myriad of emotions because I just didn't know if this was coming back or not. So the depth of my relationship with Christ grew mm. as deep as it already was. I was totally relying 100%. He pulled me close. He walked with me. He carried me in my emotional state, which wasn't good. And because of that, I started to see things that I couldn't see before, meaning that all I could see is a chance and opportunity to share faith mm. with so many different people. I The boldness that God took me through, he would... He would just, in my spirit, I could just feel, hey, man, I need to talk to this person. And he just put different people in my path that allowed me to share two chairs. Well, then on top of it, so I go to Cabo, my, I'm a fisherman. That's my passion. If I could yeah. go fishing, I would love to go fishing. I mean, that is like, I'm a little slice of heaven for Coach Maloney's when he gets to go fishing. And I don't get to go very often. Yeah. Anyway, when Cabo... My number one bucket list that I had talked to my players, I always say, have a bucket list of things you'd like to see in your life. Well, I, mine was catch a marlin. Cabo happens to be the capital of the world for marlin. So my wife, Kelly, and my best buddy, Nick, said, you're going to go on this boat to go fishing for that marlin. But neither one of them, they get seasick. They don't want to go. So I go by myself. <laughs> so now one thing about when you think you might be dying in your life, you realize that the money that you have doesn't mean nothing. Yep. The trophies that you have really don't mean nothing either. The only thing that really matters, and God took me through this very clearly, was the relationships, the hope that I had mm. some kind of impact on some people so that I would somehow live inside of them in some small way. And that's the, the beauty of life, I think. And God gave me that clear understanding, crystal clear. But anyway, and I go on this boat by myself, and I'm praising God, man. I'm go, I'm in the ocean. We're going out to sea, and there's mountains. And I'm in. I'm. I just got cleared, man. Yep. I'm on a high. And lo and behold, I could just tell it was a beautiful day, and I seen porpoises all around the boat, tons of them. And I said, "My goodness!" I said, "I might be catching some fish today because they're chasing bait fish." 
the guy was speeding up the boat. And these there's tons of porpoises. So anyway, make a long story short, the ship, the captain's running the boat. And then the shipmate says that he's going to go to be with the captain. And um, lo and behold, he said, you have to pick one of these two seats in the back of the boat to sit in. Now, you got to remember two seats, two chairs. Yep. How about that? So one of the chair was mine and I gave God the other one. Well, it was just my time with God as I'm going on and I'm praising God again. I'm doing my two chairs right there. And I'm just thanking God. And then I said, selfishly, Mike, I got to be brutally honest. I said, Lord, I'd sure like to catch that Marlon. And God in his infinite grace and his wisdom and his totality, his beauty, I start catching these little tunas on my line and nothing's biting on the other chair with God's line. And it's seven fish were bitten on my line with nothing on God's line. Then all of a sudden, and this is only God could do this. This is the only way it could happen. And the thing goes, and the guy goes, you have to go into this chair. So now I'm fighting this fish in God's chair. Me and God are fighting this fish. It doesn't jump out of the water. So I know it's not a Marlin. And the fight goes on for an hour. Now you got to remember, I worked out like a fiend in preparation in case I was going to be hit with cancer. And so uh, I was strong. And lo and behold, I battled for an hour. And I asked the guy, I know it's not a Marlin. I said, shark. And he goes, 100 pound tuna. And then I battle it for another hour. And he goes, I said, that ain't no 100 pound tuna, man. I'm battling this thing. I'm exhausted. So it's two hours into the fight. And uh, he says, 200 pound giant tuna. I land the thing and in two and a half hours. And it was estimated weight was 320 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the world record for a yellowfin tuna, which is a smaller version of the bluefin tuna, was at the time in a book I have at home at the house here, 388 pounds. So think about God's sense of humor here. Wow. I go on this incredible journey and God takes me, walks alongside of me. My athletic director never tells me about faith, but wants me to read this book. He uses that book to allow me to grow and to allow me to share the story he's given me. And then on top of it, he caps the story off with an amazing journey in the ocean. Mm. Again, just once again, showing that, hey, you know what? You wanted a Marlin, but I gave you something even better. That's right. I gave you something better, you know, for whatever reason. He chose to give me something better. And I have that Marlin's, I mean, the, the tunas in my garage and next to two chairs in the two chair book. And I've had people come in here to work on my air conditioner and stuff. They see the fish and guess what? They get the story. So God's story is alive and well. And um, so for me, it's not about the fish. Mm. It's about my journey with God. And for that, I'm very thankful. So good. Coach Maloney, I tell you what, I got to meet him on our baseball scouts coaches call a couple years ago. And every time he speaks on our calls, guys, listen, he's earned the right to be heard and he's just steady, man. Thank you, coach Maloney for sharing your life, sharing your story, sharing your heart and sharing your passion for what God has called you to do and the platform that he's given you. Thanks for using it to live sent in the space and place that God's put you. Thank you, Coach Maloney. What a fun time. Well, our next episode, we're going to continue with great leaders. We're going to be talking to another great friend of mine, Kevin Scott, about what it means to be inspired every day. It's going to be a great one. So thanks to each of you who've left a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. It helps so many people find their way to us. CH Nash 99 just said this on iTunes. Mike in this podcast has something for everybody. This is one of the best podcasts out there. He finds amazing leaders who put their faith out in front and teaches amazing principles. Thank you so much for leaving this podcast 
this review because, man, it means the world to me. And I hope some others find their way to all these great stories we get to share. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I pray that you go give some steady leadership where you are and let's make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 